Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. My friends, welcome to episode 235 of the Chat with Traders podcast. I'm glad you're here because today I bring you a man who's truly seen it all, Chris Caddy. Having surpassed 40 years as an equity index trader, Chris has lived through pretty much every type of market environment imaginable. But is experience all it's hyped up to be? Well, that is the opening line for our chat. From there, I get Chris to open up about some of the best times and some of the worst times throughout his career in futures markets, which just so happened to coincide with his years as a trader on the exchange floor. Chris also tells a captivating story about the Hunt brothers when they cornered the silver market in 1980. Then, the later half, that's when we get more into Chris's trading philosophy. He's a market profile guy, analyzing price through the lens of what he calls structure and process, and predominantly trading a style of mean reversion. Chris drops some absolutely fantastic one-liners during our chat here, so be sure to listen carefully. He also makes reference to various things like software, books, events, etc. Check the show notes. It's all there should you wish to explore further. Chatwithtraders.com slash 235. And now from NY, I present to you Chris Caddy. So Chris, you know, when speaking to someone who's been in the game 40 years like yourself, it seems obvious to ask about, you know, their experience. But one of the things which kind of struck me when we had our uh, quick preliminary chat the other day is you made some comments which almost made it seem like experience is overrated to a certain degree. Why do you believe experience is perhaps slightly less important than what most people perceive it to be? I think experience comes too late in the game and at the cost of usually some trauma associated with the obviously negative experience. I mean, there is the understanding of deja vu and it does happen in trading, or as Mark Twain would say, you know, things do rhyme exactly. Um, 
not so there is the gut feel which comes with experience but i don't think you should necessarily use experience as your only metric in regards to taking advice or finding a teacher because uh, as i say it usually comes after uh, the game is changing and it comes after the fact in a changing game so um i would suggest that if you're looking for a teacher to find one that is uh, mentally flexible and also offers a way to uh, get for your own self an emotional handle on your emotions quickly so that they don't hamstring you when things get crazy or volatile. Yeah, it seems like you, when you said this during our uh, chat the other day, that it was largely because of, how markets can change so quickly. Um, and, and I also recall you were saying, I think the first thing you said to me when we got on the phone was um, the market is a joke and you were getting a little bit fired up about it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, let me ask you this, like after all these years, you know, what surprises you about the current market environment? To let people know who have never came from an exchange floor environment, um, there was something called professional courtesy. And the idea of, well, what's changed now is that the markets distribute themselves in a vertical fashion versus in the old days on when we had professional courtesy, the horizontal distribution pattern um, allowed you to exit trades usually without uh, too much damage if you were wrong because there was always the understanding that that prices were distributing around what was perceived as fair value and fair value was not moving that quickly. So there was a much more courtesy courtesy or professional courtesy environment um, because the center of fair value, what was perceived as fair value wasn't moving very quickly. Now in this modern world where information is distributed very quickly, the ladders give the illusion of liquidity, but there's really no resting bid or offer so that if, if there's some sort of dislocation in inventory, in other words, there's a there's someone needs something ever since just in time inventory occurred in the late nineties with Amazon in the beginning of the internet revolution. We've switched to a just in time inventory, and that includes the markets as well. So when you have when you have something that needs to go or something that needs to be bought, it takes time to find the other side of the trade once it becomes apparent to the screen. And because of such just-in-time inventory and the execution of people need something or out it goes no matter what what the cost or the or the loss um there is no horizontal distribution things are moving vertically as i said it takes time to find the other side to the trade so it had that sort of a that sort of change has required that a we become much more mentally flexible b you can't average because you know there's no there's no resting bid per se. There's no perceived value. It's it's moving in a momentum based environment, and so uh, there is no there is no place for courtesy um, in that environment. And so um, it and it seems as a, as the people who are listening have been participating it seems as though those boundaries of rationality um, in regards to what is perceived as a normal market movement have been stretched to to levels that none of us have ever seen and so 
to your point about experience. It's interesting that you use the word curiosity. Uh, sorry, not curiosity, courtesy, professional courtesy, because all the stories you hear about from trading on the floor, you know, they're all very cutthroat. It was a very um, ruthless environment. Oh no, 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 no! The guys on the floor, as as a general rule, I was I've been I was on the floor for forty years. Th- no, I'm sorry, thirty years, and um, most of them were very much stand up, and uh, and there was a mob rule that effectively created its own rules and its own ethics. In fact, the regulators used to come down to the exchange and ask us what we were doing, and then they would write the rules around what we were doing um, because the game was evolving so quickly, right? From open outcry to a blended um, technological and open outcry world to finally a completely open outcry or completely um, screen-based world. So um, professional courtesy was uh, something that um, allowed you to um, participate uh, on the floor as part of a group that was ruled by the group. And so if you were a competitive or an asshole or, or somebody who was shady, uh, the group would look the other way when there were good orders. And you knew, right? You knew on the floor when there was a good order. And so um, professional courtesy was was uh, never really talked about, but existed for many, many, many generations. When you say a good order, what would be an example of that? You mean like someone who's like an uninformed order, someone who hasn't uh, adjusted their quote, you know, for some breaking news or something to that extent? Well, one of the advantages of being on the floor was that you you saw people, I mean, we would meet we would meet people in a bar and they'd be like, you're on the floor, you, you see stuff. But um, to put it in a more eloquent terms, you, could, you knew what people's positions were. And, and typically, you could get a feel for if the ring, the exchange floor members, uh, had, a, had a big short position or, or had a big long position and you know, they all needed to buy them. And you know, a good order would be in regards to the participants on the floor, help them to to get out of their position if, if they needed to sell them or if they needed to buy them. Okay. What was the most profitable era during your 40 years in markets? The most profitable era was in 19, January of 1986 when I went to Barbados and I was windsurfing and I and I would get the the Wall Street Journal came by plane, but it came a day late. And uh, that first ten days of 1986, the market went up hundreds of points every day and and blew out everybody in the ring. We'd never seen a vertical move like that before to the upside, and was the beginning of what eight you know in in 87, uh, they also did the same thing. And so by not being there, I, I saved myself. Um, most errors um, were predominantly negative. So in this case, one that I didn't make money, but I didn't lose money. And I learned, I completely blew my mind to see. And then when I came back to the the exchange, a lot of my friends had lost everything and were gone. So why is that? Because they hadn't seen a move like that before, thought it had gone too far, continually trying to short? I mean, the question of why is always a trap. 
um, why the market did something. I mean, our job as a trader is generally just to make sure you're in touch with where we're going, not why. So uh, it was also, you know, 35 years ago. Um, but what about this blew out most of your friends on the floor? The fact that they were trying to short this big No, 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 no. Think about it this way. If you're on the floor, you know, the brokers, everyone's got buy orders, right? And you're standing there on the floor. And the brokers are like, buy, you know, who do they buy them from, right? And so the, essentially you get put into the position where you're learning to trade from the short side because the only orders – Essentially, the only orders that are coming in are buy orders. So while you may be thinking that this is expensive and, and you're selling them at a ridiculous price, then when you go to cover them, it's like, oh, no, you're the one paying an even more ridiculous price. So a lot of times, just because you're in the at the time in the ring, you just because you were there, you were put into positions from a scalp perspective that you definitely didn't want but you thought that you might be able to scalp them out for just a tick or two okay i understand yeah and what a um what a good time to go on holiday (laughs) right like but i mean there is the understanding that as we go through life and and sort of a philosophical thing that we are probably ignorant to the fact that we've we miss so many close calls you know just around the corner absolutely yeah so, I mean, was there, <laughs> I mean, this was definitely a period which, um, you know, saved you a lot of money. But if you think back to a time where, you know, you were making money perhaps a lot easier than you were today, um, you know, maybe that's not the case. But was there a point in your trading career, whether that was on the floor uh, during the transition to moving to screens, where trading, I never like to use the word easy, but was... <laughs> a lot easier, <laughs> less difficult. Right. Taleb talks about this in his uh, Fooled by Randomness um, books. And uh, he says that certain personalities dovetail with a sort of a a particular market cycle. And um, so people confuse the background economic cycle and their personality as pure talent. And the Fed also in the past 10 years has created a a monoculture, a single culture of people who can only buy them. And in some of these rallies that you see recently in the past week or so, you can see that the sort of the rush to buy them, the incredible fear of missing out. Um, and the markets are up two, two and a half percent in a day and then fail to go anywhere after that as though it's a testament to the fact that so many people have only been able to buy them to make money and are also afraid of missing out. But in in regards to the uh, question, I think trading becomes easier. Um, you, you think of yourself as a new business per se. And when you walk into the bank and the bank is like, well, you have no track record, uh, so we're not going to loan you money. But as a trader, um, as you develop a, just the going to work and doing it and and after a while you get the the track record of knowing that you can come back from a loss um that mental understanding of this loss is a temporary phenomenon versus one that's a catastrophic loss um is one of the steps that helps you become um or should we say helps make trading easier um the the whole process itself 
um, is always going to be a learning process. So I would suggest that trading can become easier if you have a way to make sure that you don't let your emotions get the better part of you, as well as having a flexible, some sort of tools that allow you to think differently about a particular situation faster than anybody else. There is no point in saying, you know, the, the ring, the ring was easier because the ring's not coming back. Um, so it is, it is what it is currently right now. And so it's in, it's like music, right? Music has gotten incredibly portable, right? You can trade on your phone. Um, but does that make it easier? Probably not. But it's more accessible. And um, the ranges are very large. So if you are cautious and you have some structure to lean against, I guess you could say that it's easier. It's easier to make more money. on. It's easier now to make more money on a smaller position than it's ever been. If you're right, let's flip the question. You know, the flip side of this. Do you recall an era during your trading career which was the toughest time? You know, where oh. you kind of really struggled to make money, you're struggling to grind it out. Um, kind of some doubt started to creep into your mind. It's like, you know, is this going to be the end? Like, was there ever a time like that? In, in regards to the term error, right? Error is generally um, when in the old days when you would trade with somebody across the ring and then they didn't trade with you, right? And so um, versus now, which is where there is no such thing as a trading error, but because it's all on the mouse and there's everything is, is recorded. Um, I just more mean an error as in a period of time. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Um like a, a tough era, a tough period of time. Oh, E-R-A, right. Yeah, era. sorry, uh, accent. <laughs> um, right. Um, yeah, many, 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 many. Uh, right, um, 1994, um, the S&P sat in a 30-handle range for the year. It was horrible. We just sat there on the train on the trading floor and just sat there, sat there, right? When you see all these pictures of guys standing up in the ring screaming and yelling in 1994, everybody just sat on the ground for a whole year and waited for something to happen. Um, then in, in the year 2000, at the highs, um, right, in 98, 99, and oh, NASDAQ doubled year over year. And so that carried out a lot of people, right, that no one had ever seen. Uh, the NASDAQ double year over year. And then I, I, in fact, I asked a very old guy, he was 90, 88, 90 years old in the middle of 99. I said, would you have caught this whole move? And he said, no. And I said, why? And he said, because prudence, prudence dictates exiting a winning position long before the highs, right? Trees don't grow to the sky kind of story. And so, so those moves caught everybody off guard. It had never happened in recorded history. And so, you know, it would be like every day you get into a spaceship, you fly to the end of the universe and you get out what's there, you know, more universe. Cause we hadn't, it was off the charts, literally every day you were just, the chart went to new highs. Then that, that period, um, that sell off, what was easier to trade from 2000, the, um, the move up in 08, the, where the big short was filmed, right? That whole thing about subprime. You know, we had lived through a couple of those, so we were every we were a little bit more wary, and everyone was a little bit more knowledgeable that there is no real sort of boundary. We knew that the distributions now were vertical, so that became a little easier. 
uh, what was surprising was in that sell-off where we went to all the way down to 600 in the S&P that it sat there at the lows for five days. And that was that was tough. At the time, you could buy the 700 calls and sell the 500 puts, and it was trading 666 for a credit. So you could do the fence for a credit at the lows, but you had to sit with them for five days, which was tough. Um that was the hardest I've ever, that was one of the hardest long positions I've had to sit with. Um, and the rest of that has just been straight up, which has been impossible. I mean, till now, which is now finally the traders are back in the game. But yeah, the 08 to 18, 19, you know, right until currently, uh, was just a straight shot to the upside. You know, 3%, 4% pullbacks. Um for a decade and it was the biggest we'd get and so it was normal to get a 10 or 20 percent pullback once a year uh in the markets historically so the fed central banks money printing did a wonderful job of stripping volatility um from the economy um but now now um you know you can see that the the volatility is higher the economy struggling um, with the volatility associated with things like gasoline, things like food, and um, you know that's that's where we find ourselves today. So, uh, you know, it, I think it's more a perspective in regards to what's hard or what's not hard is is in a more of an internal perspective rather than an external. Right? If you're blaming the external situation which is out of your control, you're essentially placing yourself as a victim, which is not the right mindset to trade with. Can I just ask you to repeat that quote that you heard from the older gentleman? Um, yeah, what was that one? Prudence dictates exiting a winning position long before the highs. Can you just uh, elaborate on that, please? I mean, you look at, our, you know, everybody has the malignant optimism of, you know, if we only had the right drug, if we had the right therapy, if you know only if we tried harder kind of thing or mad you know that's match uh, malignant optimism or there's the dunning kruger like we talked about or you know trees grow to the sky every story has a happy ending but being prudent means that you recognize that there are limitations you can only be so good as a howie cohen old floor trader friend of mine used to, used to say you only have so much good karma and um and so the understanding that um you can be you can be right for for a little bit but there's so many inputs to the present moment that you can't see outside affecting every price right i mean it's mm-hmm. impossible, given the cause and effect of this gigantic system that we live in, to think that you, you know, you have the ability to to master that is is arrogance to the, you know, is is grandiosity be off the charts. So, so I think the older gentleman saying again, prudence dictates exiting a winning position long before the highs, was a nice way of encapsulating the fact that your range of perception is smaller than you think and you're part of a system that has many inputs that you can't see mm. i'm going to store that one in my memory it's good <laughs> yeah, isn't it great yeah he's um, obviously long since passed are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the u.s markets 
is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade. Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Can I just ask you before we get into a little bit of... um into a little bit about um, your trading approach and um, philosophy. Any like really memorable days or events through your career, like some days that you'll just never forget or, or a story that might be really interesting. I, I did quickly um, just sort of skim over one of um, the interviews you did with uh, Paul, is it um, yeah. Blowhorn? Hornblower. Hornblower. And you yep. spoke to him about uh, chasing down a guy on the subway who uh, <laughs> was um, responsible for the the margins on silver and yes. blew out the Hunt brothers when they tried to corner the market. Yes. I mean, I don't know, maybe you want to share that story or anything to that extent? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But you know what's interesting, just uh, before we share that story in regards to memory, is that trauma is generally makes a deeper imprint than uh, the big the big winners. So for longtime traders, as well as people out there, um, and of course, trauma is subjective, right? But the idea is, is that you need to make sure that your accumulated trauma that you're experiencing from trading is somehow integrated or diffused so that you don't become gun shy or you, you still need to have the courage and curiosity to have an open mindset uh, to participate in this. So it's an it's an unfair, asymmetric is I guess the word I'm using looking for. It's an asymmetric uh, emotional payout in trading because we show up, we expect to win, and. So when we do, even large winners, which can be destabilizing, uh, like people who you see winning the lottery, but generally speaking, that they're expected to win, you're expecting yourself to win. And the, and the losers, of course, come with no one to really blame but yourself. And, you, and you're generally not going to find sympathy from your, from your family or your wife or your girlfriend. So that's just something to make sure that you're cognizant of if you're approaching this game is, is understand that the trauma associated with losing can take a cumulative toll. And, um, and Paul Hornblower, who's, who's actually his great-grandparents, uh, had, a, had a firm, you can read about it on Wikipedia, called uh, Hornblower and Weeks. He comes from a, a, a very, very esteemed family in regards to senators and, um, and Fed members and back from the 1890s. And so he, he views it as an as a imperative from a family tradition perspective that he's involved in the markets. So I met him on the trading floor. Okay. And so he's, uh, he's an excellent trader um, and takes huge shots. But um, 
that story about silver was uh, I was on the this exchange here in New York uh, in the old World Trade Center uh, where they traded uh, the metals, where they traded, um, you know, the COMEX was there. So it's gold, silver, copper. And then, of course, the NYMEX was there where they were trading crude oil all in this room. And, and then I was trading stock index futures over uh, on the other side of the room. There's coffee, sugar, and cocoa there. So we had a, a it was a, a real, it was the only commodities exchange in New York, and um, silver guys were considered cowboys, right? It was the most radical thing. Um, for example, I was riding up in the World Trade Center elevators, which were huge. They'd hold at least 25, 30 people, and it was just three of us coming up. Uh, and I was a young kid at the time, and two silver traders were in it's just three of us in the elevator two silver traders uh standing there and this one silver trader says to the other guy I caught my wife with another guy and the silver trader other guy goes did you kill him dead serious and uh <laughs> guy says no i told him you slept with her you have to keep her and i was like whoa okay and so um and there's also stories about when the hunt brothers broker who just would hang out in a limousine out in front. So we were on the eighth floor of Four World Trade and they had windows, right? And the the, Sil the Hunt Brothers silver broker would, would sit in a limousine just parked out front. And when he would get out of the, they had guys with binoculars. When, they, when he would get out of the limousine, people would just, by the time he got up to the eighth floor on the elevator, silver had rallied 30 cents before he had started buying them. Because <laughs> isn't that a great story? I was like, Jesus, you guys are geniuses. Um, so fast forward many years later, it was a summertime, um, and this uh, older gentleman, silver hair, got to be eighty something, uh, in a seersucker suit, perfect, you know, silver hair, tan, right, wire rim glasses. You know, not, you know, good posture, can walk, he's, you know, and he's followed by all the present brass on the exchange, right? Like you see, you see these guys, you know, the exchange at the time was a non-for-profit thing where we elected our own presidents. And so you, you knew who they were. And, and all of a sudden this guy, you know, and the exchange is a place, you know, there's 5,000 of us, but you didn't, you know, you knew pretty much everybody and they, and so all of a sudden guy in his here sucker suit goes by and he's you know followed by all the important brass from the exchange and you know he walks by our ring and on his way to i just you know watching he goes over to the metals and then comes out and everybody is you know he must be somebody important must be right everybody's like you know this guy's you know i saw it on the stock exchange when i was there my boss was chairman of the stock exchange walter frank and so i saw the way the you know when people you know, they were like God in that world, right? It was, it was like, you know, this is, this is, the, you know, this is important person. And so I just, when he left, I just followed him to the subway and then just got on the same subway car. He was going to Grand Central back to Greenwich. And I just asked, you know, doors open, he gets in, he holds the silver rail. I hold the silver rail next to him, doors shut. It's a long time between between Brooklyn Bridge and uh, where the 
the you know our downtown Wall Street stop, and then this next stop is 14th Street. It's probably a four-minute ride, going full tilt on that subway. And uh, so I just you know I look over him at him like, why'd you do it? And he goes, why'd we do what? And I say, why'd you know? Why'd you blow out the Hunt brothers? Why did you change the rules? And he just looked at me and he said, because we could. Deadpan, no smile, no laugh, just because we could. So what was the, I mean, for anyone who's not familiar with what happened to the Hunt brothers or what they tried to do, um, can you just tell, I guess, that story uh, just briefly, just a quick outline? It was a successful corner of a commodities market. Um, in, of course, there were prior in the 1800s, there were many people who had cornered markets. It was it was genius, I think. I mean, it was, and so they had, they had, I guess they must have had everybody caught because the exchange changed the rules on them. So they had a humongous long position in silver. Yes, humongous. The broke, or not the brokers, um, I don't know what the right word is, but the the people who determined the margin requirements, which is this guy on the subway, changed the requirements to blow them out. Is that correct? The exchange can change margin requirements. The exchange, correct, yeah. The exchange can change margin requirements at their discretion, and they do not have to uh, tell you. They just, and it still exists to this day. And that's what was the cause of their undoing? Well, the people who had the information that they had, that they were going to change the rules um, on the COMEX governing board, uh, some of them bought skyscrapers. I kid you <laughs> not. I kid you not. Some of them bought, I believe it's 110 or 120 Broadway down here, bought skyscrapers. And so, yes, they changed the rules. Well, that's uh, quite an amazing story. Yeah, true story, true story. Um, none of that is, is probably known. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's a true story. They changed the rules because they could. Hmm. And so, by the way, anybody who's listening, always understand that they can do that at any time. And so that's why you need a great relationship with your clearing firm. Make sure that you have someone there that you can literally pick up the phone and talk to and build that relationship as a, as a matter of course, you should know somebody in the risk department at your clearing firm. Even if you're at IB, just become friends, just call up somebody at risk at, at interactive brokers and be like, I would like to have a personal relationship with somebody here just in case of emergency. So think twice before you attempt to corner the market. <laughs> You know, I don't think it's possible anymore. Yeah. I mean, oh, what, what would be, a, I mean, they might be able to do it in lithium or, or one of these weird, rare, like nickel, didn't nickel have some sort of? Ah, uh, yeah, that went berserk a couple months ago. Right? Was it a Russian guy? Uh, uh, Asian of some sort, I think. Yeah. It was, was Asian or Russian? I forget who it was, but yeah, I mean, so in an esoteric commodity that's probably got a few producers and a large short interest. I mean, you see them doing that in stocks. They did that with GameStop and AMC. 
Mm. Yeah. All right, uh, Chris, let's change gears a little bit here. Um, I'd love to get into some more about your, you know, your trading approach, how you look at markets these days, how you think about markets, how you try to make sense of it all. So just the very short version, and then we'll obviously dissect it a little further. What type of trader are you today? Like day to day, what sort of things are you doing? I'm trading indexes um, or crude if it's extremely nasty. I always say crude traders should moonlight in a dungeon, but lately it's been... <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh, they should be the people who like turn the, the, the torture up. At, they're so used to... Crude is one of the oh, most okay. difficult and painful things to trade. So I'm like, the guys who trade crude should moonlight as one of these dungeon masters. As a joke, right? It's um, The kind of trading I do is integrating structure and process and uh okay well let's hold it there we'll um okay let, let's get into that and sort of flesh that out a little bit so when you talk about structure and process you know i i don't know if it's worth covering this before we get into that but the factor of time from what i understand it's something that you like to you like to remove time as much as possible from your kind of analysis and, and view of the market can you yeah. speak to that a little bit please sure time is empty essentially to use the buddhist term time exists to meet somebody for lunch at 12 o'clock time exists for our convenience um but from the market's perspective time is not relevant time is empty a price exists from a perspective of facilitating a transaction so price exists to facilitate a transaction. That's all. Any subjective um, attachment of cheap or expensive is purely that subjective, right? Price exists to facilitate the transaction. Price is also empty of its of any meaning. Time is also empty of meaning in regards to the markets because they don't care what time it is. So there's lots of implications in regards to what tools work in regards to the free tools that you get on the side of your trading screen or on the top because of those realizations. Um, the thing, the speed of price through time, I'll say that again, the speed of price through time is the only metric where time is of value. Okay. Can you elaborate on that point? Well, th I mean, that's, that's um that you know you people would say oh that's simple that's momentum right and and you could say right the price behavior of a particular asset class is its best marketing tool for more money to be allocated to it right the price behavior I'll say it again price behavior of a particular asset class is its best marketing tool for more money to be allocated to it like you're you could say well why'd you buy them you know it's going up okay right it seems so simple right but you know successful social behavior is contagious. So, you know, where, you know, where does time figure in that? I don't, I don't think time has any, you know, other than you can see when something goes viral on TikTok, right? You see how quickly something moves the number of views through time, right? That, or the number of spins of a new hit record, you know, so that, that in, works in the same in the same sort of, it functions the same way in the market, right? Time in, a, in and of itself is is non-existent in regards to prices but the but in regards to the speed of price through time 
that's the only metric that you can use. You integrate the speed of price with time, and that's a very, very, very sophisticated and accurate way to measure price. So what tools are you using to uh, try and look at the market and understand the market and price action, et cetera, that disregards time or allows the market to more organically define itself? Right. I mean, I do not have an equity stake in any of the things that I mentioned here. Just so I am, I have nothing to sell, nor do I receive any money if anybody uses uh, the products, the following products. I do use uh, Stottlemyre's Capital Flow 32 software. Um, it uses what he calls time variable profiles. In other words, um, if it, it, very quickly, to, to give you an idea, imagine that the market's distributing itself in a bell curve fashion. And as in Stottlemyre's data segmentation element to that software, um, he will only create a new profile, a new data segment, when it breaks the range of the, of the second half, that later half of the profile. So imagine you ha would have what is equivalent on a chart to a sideways ice cream cone or a pennant. In other words, the market's had a big range in the, in the beginning and has now narrowed itself down to a small range at the end of this sideways pennant or triangle that it's creating. And then, so if it were to continue sideways, doing nothing, um, there's really nothing happening there. The, there's no reason to create a new data segment. And then when the market then breaks the range, then the, you start creating another, you segment the data on that break and you start to create the data that creates the next profile. And so people who are time-based or drawing lines or creating profiles or candles for that matter, if nothing's happened, you create a new data segment. It's, it kind of it, it inflates the value of time. Right. It, it, right. It creates times, it, it creates more importance and that it, I don't think time deserves. So in the case of Stottlemyre's software, uh, Pete Stottlemyre, who was the creator of Market Profile, um, made 70 million trading grains for himself. Um, not many people use the software. Steve Hawkins, who not the astronomer, but a, a Pete's partner, wrote a book about Market Profile, and you can reach out to him. He's in Chicago. Anybody can call him up and talk to him about Profile. He's very nice. Okay, so you use the term time variable profiles. That's the same as Market Profile. Is that same terminology? Yeah, it's the same thing, except that in Stottlemyre's case, he's using that idea of only creating a new profile when it breaks the range of, of the, you know, the last data segment, right? So people who are doing regular market profile um, on some software platforms like CQG and, and um, I'm sure um, Cunningham and things like that um, can probably do that manually but this does it automatically that's all the idea is is that you don't want to you don't want to create a new data segment unless something happens right why would some let, let's just do a quick force and think why would something happen right the market's balanced right 
and then something happens. Well, that means that there's a big order, right? Somebody's going to displace the market. And if nothing's happening, right? We'll go back. If nothing's happening, that means most of the market participants view that the market's fairly priced. And then most people are either flat or comfortable with their position. So any sort of inventory displacement from a balanced position, i.e. the market's doing nothing, is usually the beginning of a vertical move, which means that if you're leaving from a, a balanced position, right, if you're leaving from a balanced position, so everybody's comfortable, and you get a displacement from a balanced position and a vertical move, that means there's zero, and I'll say that for emphasis, zero chance of a retracement from that balanced position with the beginning of a vertical move. So you can see how important it is to segment data along the concept of understanding that the market moves from balance to imbalance. And that's one of the principles of market profile. When I hear about uh, traders who use market profile, it's it seems to be mostly the futures traders. And I'm not sure if that's because, you know, most futures trade 23 hours a day. So is market profile perhaps more effective in futures markets because of their continuous nature um, instead of something like, you know, stocks which have a defined open and close, you know, six hours a day? That's an excellent question. I do run both versions of the cash markets and the futures. And there are many people who will only trade when both line up in particular. In other words, the, the cycle and the in the cash market, the stock itself, and the cycle, the time cycle, or whatever they're using, you know, the something RSI, whatever, they have to have all their indicators pulling in the same direction. Um, and so there are people who do that um, and are very successful at doing that, by the way. Um, profile is, is, is just a, is just a way of taking the behavior and being able to look at it in a way that you can't necessarily see in a bar chart. So I'm, I'm struggling to, to answer your question in regards to best. I would suggest that it's just a different way. Remember how we were talking about a successful trader needs to be able to see things differently quickly. Mm -hmm. And so this may just be another way to take the same price action but give you a different perspective. For example, right, if you're upset, just go up and take a walk, get a drink of water, right? Like you come back to your screen with hopefully that different mindset. And so the, the, the understanding of when you look at a profile, you can see where there are places where the market hasn't traded and places where there has been a great degree of acceptance. And you may not necessarily see that on a bar chart. Yeah, right. You only see half the picture. Yeah. So it, it's not necessarily the answer, but it is another tool. Is that a nice way to put it? Yeah, of course. Of course. You speak a lot of, or use the terminology a lot. You haven't done it quite so much um, in our call up to this point, but I know... Uh, from hearing you speak and, um, you know, other content you've put out there, you use the terminology structure and process. Um, can you speak to that a little more? Like, um, what are you referring to there? 
Well, the markets are, it, when you trade every day, when I was younger and I was on the floor, I, I'd ask the older guys, you know, what's it, you know, what's it like? You've been here 50 years. They'd say it's like a bad marriage. You know, you're coming to work every day, trading. This thing has its own personality. You don't necessarily like it every day. And so I started studying systems theory, which is a family therapy sort of thing out of uh, the center uh, for New Rochelle. I was reading Fogarty's and Tom Fogarty's and Bowen's uh, unedited, unpublished compendiums. And then uh, started reading John Gottman stuff out of Seattle. Uh, he's the one of the world leading experts on divorce. Uh, and I was convinced that you know financial stress creates the same sort of stress that a bad marriage does. And what did the you know where do prices go? They always go to where the most pain is. And, and even Sotomayor would say stuff like "do the hard trade," right? So I figured there had to be a giant psychological component to to or behavioral component to economics. So I read that stuff for probably five, seven years, 10 years. And in there, in there, there was the, uh, there was the understanding of there's structure within a relationship or a marriage or, or whatever you're doing and process the associated sort of here and now affecting you or, you're dealing with and so you could say structure could be your gut feel of the market right and the process would be the tape going by right trying to read the tape you could say structure in a relationship would be you've you've had you know 80 80 it's or just even the beginning of a relationship right you've had eight good dates and then on the ninth date you have you know, there's some sort of disagreement, but you have enough of a track record, right? You have a positive structure to sustain the negative process, right? And so the understanding is, is that you see the same thing in the market, right? You, if you understand how to read market structure, then you measure the process against the structure. So structure would be a little bit of a longer look back. Structure would be bigger data segments, whether you're using profile or things of that nature or longer term moving averages, right? So structure and process. And so when you have a positive structure and you have a positive process, that should be one of those days that you would call a trend day where the market just goes straight up, right? And so you can see that there are sometimes days where you have in the context of an uptrend where you see that people are buying the dip, right? And so you have a negative process against a positive structure, right? So stuff like that. So the, just the concept of, and, and so in my case, right? And so my case, I look first at the longer term stuff and then bring it down to the shorter term. And on my charts, I have a one minute, a, a 10 minute, a 30 minute and a daily right of the same thing so you can be cognizant of where you are in all time frames and that's i think important to have an understanding of process and structure in that regard does that answer your question it does but that last part was interesting because you said you've got a one minute a 30 minute etc right which is obviously refers to time which you try to remove right right for sure for sure i mean it just i don't live in a vacuum 
I understand that other people are going to use this. And, and you're still looking for, essentially, we're trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle. And so a lot of that is, you know, what what does the market want to do, right? It's not about what I want to do. I mean, think about it, right? We come to work. It's like we have to dance with with who brought us. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to trade what we see, not what we think. You know, what does the market want to do? So we have to we have to be able to look at at what everybody else is looking at, and then we have to be able to see if if we if we can't see the flaw in their logic using conventional methods. If we can't see the flaw in their logic, then we have no reason to fight them, right? On, the only time that we can we can fade the obvious is when we see the flaw in their logic. And so that comes from from thinking originally and and do you know trading is not a neat a neat and all tied up in a bow experience. It's really messy. Like essentially, you know, what does trading teach us? Right? It teaches us that it's life is messy. It teaches us that that we need grit. Uh, it teaches us that we need to come back from uh, from negative experiences. So it helps to understand through, in my case, I'm using a, a flow chart, a trade flow chart on CQG, a one-minute chart with a, with a reversion to the mean program. Everybody should build that, right? 80% of the time, the market's reverting. So in your toolkit, you should have a reversion to the mean program. Then in my 30-minute, I use a 30-minute bar chart with a 65 period and a 33 period moving averages and when those lines go flat everyone should build this too a a 30 minute chart with 65 and 33 period moving averages when the lines go flat that's essentially a quick and dirty way to see if the market's balanced and so from we know from a balanced position the market has has doesn't mean it has to but it has the ability can go keep going be balanced forever but it probably won't be but it can go vertical and then i keep a daily chart with the longer term moving averages the 200 and the 21 day just because i have the space for it i don't want to gloss over the point you made there about how you know did you say 80 percent? either way it was the bulk of your trading is reversion to the mean Oh, on the statistics, right? The breakouts only work, what do they say, 15% of the time, 12 to 20%, something like that. Around 15% breakouts are only successful 15% of the time. So if you're looking to do, you know, a successful job, create a, you know, small positive cash flow over time, you need to be first a reversion trader. Okay. So ultimately what that means is you're buying weakness, selling strength. What kind of signals do you look for? Like what would be a strong signal for you to actually take action and, you know, do one of the above, either buy weakness or sell strength? Let's just look back at, at um, you know, where are the flaws in that strategy? Just so it's like first do no harm, right? Understand when you're using a reversion to the mean program, the mean the mean can change fast on a news event, right? Yes. So so we understand that that it is a tool it is not it and it happens to function 80% of the time but again it is not god it can be wrong and so um with that in mind the understanding is is that you need to know where you are in the cycle of 
is the market if the market's balanced if the market's balanced and you can do that by looking at this the 30 minute chart with the 65 and 33 minute uh, 33 period moving averages on a 30 minute chart if the lines are flat then the market's balanced if the market's balanced the reversion chart is not the tool for the day right because the market's going to go vertical and there's going to be no retracements because that the only person who knows how far it's going to go vertical is the person with the biggest order and they're not telling you how big it is once the lines get separated on that chart the market's had a vertical move the reversion trades tools that you're making right you're building bands around a moving average of vwap whatever it you may choose to use um is the tool and so given that the breakouts only exist 10 to 15 percent of the time that means that 80 percent of the time that reversion chart's going to work but you just have to make sure that you don't get caught in a vertical move what are some ways to get caught less in vertical moves <laughs> is this where your analysis with volume profile comes into play or yeah right where there's some other nuances to okay. it so in a market profile if you were if you were looking at a market profile we we would define the balance point as the wide spot of the profile right the fattest part of that profile the you know, a standard bell curve distribution smack dab in the middle, right? So when a market or or in the case of that 65 and 33 moving average on a 30-minute chart, when the lines go flat, it's not a crossover system. When the lines come together and the lines go flat, right, that's telling you that market participants have decided this for whatever reason, this is a fair price, right? And so our strategy is diametrically opposed. It's completely 180 degrees, the opposite of a reversion. The understanding is, is that when the market's balanced, it's gonna go vertical from that balance point, always does. Okay, any vertical move is coming from a balanced position, generally speaking. And so the way to trade that would be you could literally, if you sense the market balance and starting to break out, you say it's going to break to the upside and you're expecting a, a vertical move, not a reversion, you know, a dislocation of inventory. You could literally buy one and wait 30 seconds. And if it's, if it's not in, if it's not in your favor, you get out, but you could literally write a program that would say buy one and then 30 seconds later, buy another automatically and then buy another 30 seconds later and then buy another and then as soon as the next 30 second entry level is below your most recent entry you just get a box that shows up and says would you like to exit the trade this entry is no longer at a higher or low you know in the direction that you're trading and just hit exit and that would be the way you could trade an exit no as far as i know no one has written that program or if they are doing it in the high frequency shops but that would be the way that you would trade the market from a vertical uh, or balanced position expecting it to go vertical. The same thing works to the downside, right? And then the reversion is 180 degrees the opposite, right? You're, so now after you've had the vertical move, this is where the art of trading comes in. How far is too far, right? Does 
prudence dictates exiting a winning position long before the high. Not every tree grows to the sky. Nobody, you know, there is, is there happily ever, not everybody has happily ever after, right? The idea is, is how far is too far with vertical and you start to trade the, the market's going to go through this cycle of vertical and then get balanced. Well, as the market's getting balanced, as in other words, think about it this way, as you have spent more time going vertical, more and more people have gotten on board, which means that the idea is that more and more people will now have that same position, which will lead to retracements, which lead to the market getting balanced. So there is you, the best time to initiate with a reversion program is is early in in the cycle of of the balancing site part of it, right? Is you, it's almost like, you know, if the market's going up, it's like you're selling them hoping for somewhat of a reversion before anybody else, you know, that first little dip or something like that. Anyway, the point is, is that you switch from a, the vertical, the market leaving a balanced position. And we know that, that there is zero chance of a retracement because everybody's got a balanced position. Everybody's going to be trying to get on board. And everybody's, you know, there's no chance of a retracement when the market's going vertical from a balanced position. And then you flip completely to selling rallies and buying dips, as you said, for the as the market goes through the finishing phase of that cycle. You know, in other words, if the price of something is so low, you can see this in equities, right? If the price of something is so low, so many people want to buy it, it moves away from there quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And if the price of something is too high, it moves away from there quickly, right? Leaving a tail, which mean which means that the true opportunity at the low is a finger snap, and the true opportunity at the high is a finger snap. Which means that if you think something is the low and you buy it and it gives you a second chance, it's not the low, <laughs> right? And if you buy if you sell something at the high, and it comes back there. The, it's pretty good chance it's not the high, right? So in trading, you never want a second chance at something. Mm. That's that's a that's a that's a good thought, <laughs> right? I mean, think about it, right? In other words, we don't you don't want a collective ambivalence, yeah, about something, right? You want certainty, right? And you want to know, right? Like if I bought them, I stuck me because in game theory, if you operate with the least amount of information and you're right, that is a really significant reference point so if we're operating in a situation if you're taking a stab on a trade where you think it's the higher low and it's only up there for a second and you happen to be right then then you know that there's more to that trade than you thought about because everybody else is waiting for confirmation and they're not going to get close to the price that you executed at you use the word program a few times there Um, i'm just curious as to to what extent your trading is uh, automated or kind of assisted by technology versus is it purely um, click trading? I'm working with a team of developers on artificial intelligence. It's the future, no question. And I think everybody needs to know what tools work because, and what tools you use where because uh, artificial intelligence is totally the future of trading. And it's it's out there and it's available. Um, I post it up on my Twitter, uh, which is Chris C. Katie, uh, and uh, uh, take a look at it. I post it up for free. Um, n- no question. Um, 
forward-looking indicators are better than backwards-looking indicators. Um, in this case, the development that I'm, uh, and again, I have no financial interest, no equity stake in this project. The idea is, is that there is artificial intelligence programs now where you can literally choose whatever indicators you want to use, and then the thing goes back and will read 25 years of data on whatever time segment you're using. There's even artificial intelligence programs that that I've seen that are that are it will choose the indicators for the particular market. Um, what's What's interesting is that it hasn't the artificial intelligence I've seen has yet to understand the difference between vertical and you know where the market's balanced and about to go vertical, and then the the reversion thing the. the most artificial intelligence I've seen is for reversion trading, and um, but I, the technology I'm using is essentially uh, artificial intelligence um, predicated on uh, Stottlemyre's data segmentation. Right, it only creates a new segment, and then it, the artificial intelligence then predicts the range of the S and P for the next six hours and the finishing price or the wide spot of the profile, and then. Um, you can find it on my Twitter. I post it up for free. It's pretty cool. Okay. Um, and your Twitter is at Chris underscore C underscore Katie. Yep. Yep. And you can ask me any questions there. I'll try and get back to anybody. I'm not, and you know, as you are right, we're not trying to sell anything here. Right. So Chris, if someone's interested in finding out more about market profile, I think you may have already suggested it, but just uh, please read, Pete, for convenience, um, a book on market profile. Pete was, you know, these teachers, some of these teachers are tough, right? You know, real, you know, I used to go to Pete's classes and he'd be like, you know, people show up and ask questions and he would say stuff like, look, you haven't been here. I'm not going back just for your, you know, benefit. You just have to learn from where we're, we're learning today. Pete, of course, doesn't teach anymore. Steve Hawkins, his partner, um, occasionally teaches and has written a book with Steve. Um, so I've written a book with Pete um, on Market Profile. It's the fourth edition, I think, that is out. Uh, it's Pete Stottlemyre, S-T-I-E-D-L-M-A-Y-E-R. And then Hawkins, which oh, no G, it's right, H-A-W-K-I-N-S. Um, once you read that, you can definitely call up Steve and he will talk to you. He's in Chicago and uh, is working with a bunch of also artificial intelligence guys, but will gladly talk to you and um, or find me and I'll, I will certainly um, answer any questions. Okay, Chris, I uh, well, I should address the um, people listening to this podcast. Um, I'll pop a link to the book that uh, Chris has just mentioned and a link to uh, Chris's Twitter in the show notes. Um, and you can find that at chatwithtraders.com slash 235 as this will be episode 235. Yes, and we have no royalty interest in the book. Of course. Yeah. Chris, one last question and then we'll call this a wrap. You've been in the game 40 years. There's very few who can say that. What's the secret to long-term survival? Well, you, you really have, you have to want to do it. I mean, you're competing against the smartest people in the world. And it's the ultimate game. I mean, if you're, 
you're never bored. You you have an incredible sense of humility because you can never be right, yet you're still out there trying. I mean, you can't be right. You can't be right forever, right? You can be right short term. You have to change. If you're interested in a path for personal growth, I mean, I'm not trying to be cheesy, but if let's put it this way, if you're if you're stiff-minded, if you think you're hot stuff, if you aren't flexible, if you're if you lack courage and you want someone to be your boss and tell you when you can go on vacation, then fine, right? You live in the in the uh, the rest of the world, right? If you want a job that offers freedom, that requires you take risks and change the way you think all the time, if you, I mean, it's obviously you don't have a boss, but, you know, it's, I think it's the best path to self-discovery I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, from the sounds of it, it sounds like a lot of your success is somewhat reliant on your ability to be flexible in the way you think. Do you think that's fair? It's very fair. The the blown out people have all been people who just had a stick up, you know, had a bone to chew the wrong way. And, and, you know, we live in this system that is infinitely more complex than we can ever grasp ourselves. But there are moments where they hand out thousand dollar bills. And so the idea is, is to stay in business in this gigantic organic system that we have no control over to be there when they hand out thousand dollar bills. All right, Chris, well, on that note, let's, uh, let's call it a wrap. Eh? <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. That was super fun. Maybe we can link up in another year or so and we can chat a bit more about your AI endeavors, but for the time being, let me say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been, um, a super interesting chat and I think, uh, the folks listening will, um, thoroughly enjoy it. So yeah, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Aaron. Um, good luck to you, and I'll, I'll make sure to pass on the good word. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. Chat with Traders.